You know you're being talking an over ass. yourself. Okay, so what do you want to do? Yeah. Hi. Welcome. You don't need to write that down. Are you kidding? We do it the same way every. I know. And then press record. And then what? Well, welcome to the Borchella Rose podcast. Okay, okay, okay. Sean, sure. Mike. Fine. I'll, we'll we'll get into this. Yeah. <sighs> That's what we do every time. Like that part now, you were writing it down. Like you, I was just right. I was just it. writing it down as a prompt, and then I was here's your prompt. Hi. Dot. 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 I know. Next point. It's it's my notes. I will prompt my brain how I want to prompt my brain. Great. Well, if you can't handle that kind of prompting, then maybe I should take over the part yeah, where we say hi. Fine. Hi. 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 Are you in the mood yet? Hi. And welcome to episode 1.7. Hi. <laughs> Hi, and welcome to episode 1.7 of the Borcelli Brothers podcast. I'm Mike Borcelli. And I'm Sean Borcelli. And today on the show, it's Myths and Legends Part 2. Part 2. Part 2. Yeah. Uh, so on this episode, we have... Well, it's a little bit different than our normal episode format uh, because we, we changed things around. We recorded some of it a long time ago and we're just kind of holding on to it for future use and so mike and i basically have our own conversation at the beginning then we introduce a a pre-recorded interview with our good friend jason colvin yeah and he tells a great great yeah super interesting yeah um about the bards the bards the birds yeah um well enjoy thank you enjoy glad you got a 15 inch nick aren't you glad you got a 15 inch yes jesus a like 15 a seven, inch 17 would have been too much i've never actually seen it myself oh here yeah. i'm glad you got the same as mine you didn't have to put it right on the table okay this is a myths and legends episode you and i came to the table talking about kind of the same thing weirdly enough it's weird it's serendipitous serendipitous synchronicity yeah um so you you want to talk about mythological weapons that's what i want to talk about i'm what? gonna i'm gonna be talking about mythological weapons awkward <laughs> <laughs> i'm really hoping that our our weapons 
that we've come up with are different. Uh, one of mine is a sword. None of mine are a sword. Oh, cool. cool. One of mine is a spear. None of mine is a spear. One of mine is a mace. Okay. Okay. Um, one of mine is a hammer. None of mine are hammers. Okay, we might be okay. I think we're all right. Yeah. <laughs> okay, good. Okay. <clears throat> okay, well, uh, we should get this, the episode started. Yeah, definitely. So, Myths and Legends episode... Well, Myths and Legends episode two, but this is episode 1.77. Yeah, episode 1.7, uh, Myths and Legends part two. Mm-hmm. And so the structure of this episode is going to be a little bit different. Mainly yeah. because uh, part of this we had pre-recorded when Mike was on vacay, and we were trying was... to make sure that we kept our schedule and wanted to get some content out of Dodge. And where were you? I was, um, I was in Vancouver for mm-hmm. part of, for a weekend, and then uh, the rest of the week, while we were, while you guys were recording your interview, I was uh, I was on Gabriola Island. Off Vancouver Island. Oh, that's that's where your lady's uh, cabin is. It's yeah. Her parents have a place out there. Oh, it sounds terrible. Oh yeah, real awful. I mean, mm-hmm. is it on the ocean? Yep. Yeah, it's sur- it's it's Gross. an island surrounded ocean? by ocean. Oceans are scary. You yeah. don't like it. You, so yeah. it's not a, it's not on a lake on the island in the ocean. N- no. <laughs> mm. It's an island on a lake on Vancouver Island. There no. is actually, if you can Google it. Yeah. There is. Uh, bodies of water that are on land masses that are in bodies of water that are on land masses that are in bodies of water. (laughs) And so there's like, you can Google it. It's just like, it's like, okay, this is a lake that's on an island here, which is actually in the middle of a much bigger lake, uh, which is also in the middle of this sea kind of thing. And it's like, oh, it gets really... Meta, I guess. Is, <laughs> yeah. Weta. Yeah. Is there a is there a, a term for that? I don't I don't know if there is a term for but it makes sense. It's like, well yeah, you could have a pond on an island that is actually just on a lake and that lake is on another island. And that island could be actually on a an inner sea, which could be on a continent which is surrounded by a bigger ocean. I'm sure there's got to be one in like Australia or something. Like mainland Australia? I don't think so. There's not a lot of water in Australia. <laughs> that'd, that'd be the last <laughs> continent I would choose. Canada has a ton of them. Anywhere like in Nunavut, like anywhere north in Nunavut, is full of like all these islands, and I well, guarantee but, you're finding little ponds and oh, islands sure. inside of most islands of those are frozen. Ocean. Um, but you go west coast. Like some of the bigger islands, like like Victoria has lakes. Yeah. Vic- like Vancouver Island has lakes yeah. on it, and some of those lakes have islands on the lake. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. So it was a fun trip. Good. And, and how long ago was this? When did we record this? It was. Uh, this would have been late August, mid to late August. Okay, so we recorded part of this mid to late late August. Mm-hmm. Uh, you weren't here. Nick uh, filled in a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, we have our friend Jason Colvin who came in to uh, do what would be our second Missing Legends episode. Yeah, we put it in the vault, ready for this day. Yeah, 
and now we're going to add to it. Yep. Yeah, because mainly, mainly because uh, he had such a concise uh, story to tell, and uh, the story that I had to tell in return, like when we were just you know, uh-huh. you know, having our dialogue, uh, it was no good. Like he was, he was so ready, and so I, I felt like I had failed completely in the research. So we've cut all that, because mm-hmm. I, because I. Maybe like his bar was too high, and I might maybe set my bar too low. Right. And in the middle, it was like, well, we can keep the Jason stuff, but uh, I literally fell asleep listening to your side of it uh, when I had to review it. Yeah, I know, I know. I told you right away. Yeah. I said, Jason's great. Yeah, it's good. Yeah, and then I think the thing is, I missed you. I I need to play off you a little bit, and that's real nice. There's a reason that we're the Borcelli brothers. Yeah, hey, takes uh, two to tango, huh? It takes three to tango. If you want someone to be able to put the CD in and press the tango song, are you talking on about track two? And that are we goes, referring to Nick that's Borcelli? That's a shout out to Nick Borcelli <laughs> over there. I feel inadequate. Mm-hmm. Why? I want to be the Mike Borcelli of the group now. But you're not. You should have come up with the idea of a podcast. Mm-hmm. The super fresh original idea of a podcast. Yeah, we <laughs> created this podcast idea. Okay, so this is Missing Legends episode two, but on the scale of Borcelli Brothers, this is episode one point seven. I already said that one point seven. I'm just—I mean, we digress, so I'm bringing it back. Now, what are you talking about today, Mike? You want to start this out? Sure. Um, I can start out. You're talking about weapons. I am talking about weapons. Of mass destruction. I am talking about weapons. Of epically mythical mass destruction. Uh, yeah. Some pretty cool mythological weapons. Do you want, do you want me to just, you know, do you want me to just dive right in? Well, I I don't know. I think so. Okay, cool. Uh, so the first weapon of mass destruction I have is, uh, uh. Kurt Cobain. Kurt Cobain's, uh. Sweater. The sweater he wore. When he was doing uh, MTV, Unplugged. MTV Unplugged. Yeah, uh, and it uh, just sold at auction for a staggering $140,800. Oh, my God. I actually would have thought it would go for more. Yeah, actually, it's kind of low. Don't you think? Well, it's so iconic. It's it, That cardigan. Do you yeah. know how many people like started wearing cardigan sweaters? I Every you know time many... I wear one, I still think about that. Yeah, when I wear a cardigan sweater sweater to this day, mm-hmm. people are like, oh, you're just preppy, you're a hipster. It's like, no, 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 I go way back. Yeah. I got it from Kurt Cobain. I want my high har are you shirt underneath yeah. it. And... <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. 140000 $140,800. So $141,000. So obviously it was an auction, so $800 was... Like someone just was like, uh, one hundred forty thousand one hundred, hundred forty. I'll, I'll give it one hundred. Okay, one forty thousand one hundred. Put out two hundred, and then they like. That's and finally one forty thousand eight hundred was like, no one. What about one forty thousand one one thousand? What about one forty one thousand? Yeah. No one took it. Ugh. No one wanted to just have a nice round number. Nope. No. So that's fucking losers out there. Maybe I mean, it's, maybe it's funny. actually a sign of the fact that uh, 
any of the people that grew up listening to grunge music and were really into the grunge scene and idolized him never amounted to anything. So they can't actually afford that much. What's really funny is that uh, it says... They're still waiting for the grunge revival. It says, quote, unquote, a family friend put the sweater up for auction. I'm like, I'm just thinking about that scenario and I'm like, how did this thing even get there? Okay, so I'm looking at this image on your computer that you pulled up, and uh-huh. he's he's clearly wearing a, a mustard-colored sweater, <laughs> and, then and then the, the, the picture beside <laughs> it is a gray sweater. It might be the lighting, but uh, well, this is the old the black black dress with black lace and blue dress, or uh, white dress with gold lace. Yeah, the but old at the same optic. time, I'm looking at him side by side. Yeah, well, sure. So my perspective is. It's a legitimate perspective because one is mustard yellow, and one is gray. <laughs> they're they're apparently the I always sweater. I always thought that his cardigan was a uh, mustard yellow, but apparently it is. Uh, I mean, I thought that color was cool for years because I, I bought was, a mustard yellow uh, yeah. sweater. Yeah, because I thought that was the but, shit. Uh, apparently, his cardigan is uh, it was gray, and that was the lighting. Okay, okay. So now we know. Mystery solved. Okay, so that was your first first. first. <laughs> that was your first uh, weapon. Of that was my first mythological weapon of Mathithorkin. Weapon of Mathithorkin. Yeah, uh, the second uh, is a is a uh, really interesting one. Okay, uh, from uh, a sort of a, an, uh, I guess they were kind of an empire, sort of a 15th century kind of an empire. Who is it? It's the uh, it's the Malakan, uh, like or the Malaka. Empire, Malachi, yeah, yeah, and uh, the, in it's like a state in Malaysia, mm-hmm. but they were a really powerful force in the, around like the 15th century. But they have a legend about a, a particular hero and a weapon, and it's pretty cool. It's uh, it's called um, Taming Sari, which translates to flower shield. Flower shield, but it's not a it's not a shield at all. It's actually a chris, which is. Um, that's that dagger. Chris. Chris. How's that spelled? Uh, uh, K-R-I-S. Um, I just got a text that I am supposed to go in for a haircut. Natalie's going to give me a haircut. You scheduled a haircut with Natalie at the, at the same time that we're supposed to be doing a podcast. Um, when did you plan this? Today. So we need to stop this episode right now? Yeah, if we could like pause it. But uh, we're on a roll. I know, we were doing really well. Jesus Christ. Uh, I'm really sorry. I, I'm kind of crunched for time. We've been, uh, we've been okay, turning well, out these episodes. Natalie, I mean, if, in case the home studio doesn't know this, my partner Natalie also does hair. And uh, she cuts my hair. Uh, Mike double booked. So we're yeah. going to pause it here and put in some... Uh, pee break music uh catch you in a second i hope you look much more handsome mike oh, i'm gonna because you definitely look like a piece of shit right now it's not good personality wise uh yeah your hair's shorter it is mm-hmm. it's shorter yeah that was really quick too that wasn't really quick. What do you mean? It was like 10 minutes. No, no, it wasn't 10 minutes. Uh, Nick and I were in here waiting for you, and we watched two episodes of the new Guardians of the Galaxy cartoon. 
in that time. No. Yeah, definitely did. No. I, I don't know what it is, but uh, you definitely weren't gone for 10 minutes. Maybe it's... Uh, and we're both a little annoyed. Maybe it's Natalie's magic hands. Natalie, do you want to tell the folks at home what just happened? I may or may not have accidentally hit your eyeball with my scissors. But I didn't, right? <laughs> no, you, to clarify, you did not pierce my eyeball with your scissors. Thank God. I have to say that for legal reasons. <laughs> it's, it's been 45 minutes. And all I want to do is get this episode <laughs> done. I'm sick. Oh. Well, let's get back to it. Okay. Where were we? You were talking about uh, some kind of mythological weapon. Ah, the Chris. It's the, the Chris. The Taming Sari, which is known as the Flower Shield, which is actually not a shield, but a Chris, which is uh, that classic dagger that you see in all those movies with, like, the it's really zigzagged. Oh, yeah, yeah. That, that's I actually thought it was fake. Nope, that's a real type of dagger. Real type of dagger. It's known as a Chris, K-R-I-S. And uh, the thing about the Taming Sari is that it's actually uh, thought to be the first Chris. It's the, the legend is it's the first of its kind. Okay, Taming Sari. Yeah. Taming um, or the Taman Sari? Taming Sari. Taming Sari, okay. Yeah. Taming Suri. Sorry. Oh. I'm sorry. You can't tame Siri. Sorry? <laughs> <laughs> Uh. <laughs> uh, it was given to him by the sultan Who was? Given to who? Uh, oh, I guess we should introduce our hero here It was yeah, given, to, given to the Malachan warrior Hang Tua Oh, classic Hang Tua Hang Tua He got the dagger given to him by the sultan of uh, Malika Malika, yep Uh they had sultans in uh, yes, because okay. Rewind. I need to rewind. Uh, oh, you need so to rewind because it's been South, so South long. Pacific. South Pacific. Well, we're talking about yeah, Malaysia. Malaysia, South Pacific. Mm-hmm. Um, and they had. Okay, keep going. They had. It's called uh, the 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 empire was called the Malacca Sultanate or Sultanate Sultanate. Uh, and that's, so they had sultans. They had sultans, yeah. Okay. Um, so yeah, uh, and he was given this dagger. He was sort of a favorite, um, a favorite warrior. Okay. And that sort of that that sort of uh, was his uh, downfall to a degree, uh, because everyone, all the other council members, really hated that he was the favorite, and they started spreading rumors about him. And the Sultan being uh, apparently a real upstanding, uh, really, really real thorough cool Sultan of Swing, almost. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, you could say that. He believed all the rumors and called for uh, Hang Tua's execution. Yeah. Uh, hence, where uh, the term "hanging" comes from. Did they hang him? No. They hang Tua. Th- they didn't hang. Did they hang Tua him? They didn't hang Hang. <laughs> no. Uh, no. Um, but uh, Bendahara, who was the chief minister and who was told to, he was actually asked to do the execution. Um, he was tasked with it. He hid Hang Tua in order to repay like an old debt. 
that they had. And he, uh, thinking he was dead, hanged Tua's best friend, um, <laughs> Hang Jabat. <laughs> it's the two hangs liked hanging out. Hang Tua, Hang Jabat, <laughs> yeah. as the old saying goes. <laughs> <laughs> they, they, uh, so Hang Jabat, thinking he was dead, because because uh, the trick worked so well, they hit him so well. Uh, started killing everybody <laughs> just kill he was so mad he just started killing everybody and so when, i've never been that mad no <laughs> I, if you got if you like got executed i wouldn't kill everybody what do you mean if you were executed i love you but if you were executed i wouldn't kill everybody that's oh, really who, rude Mike. wait who executed me i don't know okay let's say the government executed me you wouldn't kill the government but what if <laughs> some other weird club or another podcast executed me. If another podcast executed you, they would be dead. Yeah, that's what I want to hear. Okay. Okay, but not the government. No, no, that's, that's too tough. <laughs> that's, that's tough. Uh, so They probably had a good reason, because they're the government. Yeah. So I think after uh, Hang Jabat started doing all this crazy shit, uh, Ben Dahara revealed the hoax. And uh, the sultan was like, oh. Uh, and I, I guess... For some reason, forgave uh, Hang Tua, but um, he made he made Hang Jabat, or he made Hang Tua kill Hang Jabat, his best friend, for killing all those people. Ooh. So Hang Jabat and Hang Tua had a big fight, and then Hang Tua threw he killed him with the taming sari, which, by the way, has no sheath. Because no, oh, obviously it's a zigzag dagger. Yeah, How do you well, make a sheath for that? <laughs> a Chris, a Chris uh, generally has a traditionally has a sheath, but uh, Hang Tua uh, believed his enemy's body was the only appropriate sheath. Ooh. So to put it in his best friend was pretty rough, mm-hmm. and so he threw it in the river and he never used it again. So it's a lost relic, maybe. To so, is it super powerful? It has uh, some sort of magic power, but it didn't really get into it. I don't know. It's supposed to be just special. Special because he stabbed his friend with it? That's it. <laughs> that, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. <clears throat> this dagger is special because I killed my best friend. Because it. it is the first. Well, let's see. Yeah, no. no there's nobody, nobody ever says. Next. Next one. The next mythical weapon mm-hmm. <clears throat> is a sword. Okay. Mm-hmm. That narrows it down. Yeah. Excalibur. It's, nope. It's called the Crocia Mors. Crocia Mors. And that is Latin. Mm-hmm. And it means the yellow death. Oh, I, I see where this is going. Gives uh, whoever gets stabbed by it jaundice. Yeah. <laughs> sort of. Sort of. <laughs> uh, anybody who is damaged by the sword dies. So you get a cut by the sword, you die from it. But do you turn yellow? I betcha. Maybe. Maybe this sword was blamed for everyone's failing livers after drinking too much. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so it's 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 an old, it's uh, more of like a Roman... Uh, uh, Oh, it's Roman. It, it's a Roman legend. It's a Roman sword. Okay. But uh, the medieval legend, it, it was retold in medieval times, and that was 
it was uh, the myth was that it was carried by Caesar. Okay. Julius Caesar held this sword. It was his uh-huh. sword. Uh, but the original story of the sword is that it was forged uh, by the god's smith, Vulcan. Oh. Uh, getting into real Roman Yeah, the Roman, mythology. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, and it was originally the property of the Trojan prince. And let me pronounce this correctly. Anus. <laughs> no, that's pronounced correctly. Anus Tro- correct. Trojan Prince Anus. Prince Anus. Who yeah. received it? Yeah, he got it. He really he re- <laughs> Anus received it mm-hmm. uh, from his mother Venus. Oh yeah, because <laughs> it. Uh, <laughs> I think that, I think that, <clears throat> nowadays they call that pegging. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, anyways, <laughs> Anus. Was hanging around one day, and it. Uh, if you want to make it sound better, you can say anus, <laughs> but it is definitely spelled anus. Anus was hanging around one day. <laughs> Both are jokes and punny. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> so he was hanging around in what would be the future site of Rome, mm-hmm. and it fell from the sky and landed in the ground, and in his head, he he says he heard. Uh, with this conquer, as the legend goes, he hmm. he heard this. Um, it doesn't. I I didn't. I couldn't find out how it ended up with. Caesar. So wait, wait, wait. With this conquer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. And I assume since he was a, tr- uh, I I don't understand why he's a Trojan prince and he finds it in Rome. Uh, but baloney. So Caesar ends up with the sword. Oh, because the Trojan... Yeah, that is interesting, because the Trojan prince, that's Greek. Yeah. Troy is Greek. Yeah. That goes back So uh, I, Well, I think I, well, we were talking about earlier. his mother was Venus, so I think what we're talking about is an adapted myth. So it was probably Greek to begin with, and it was adapted by Rome, and then adapted by medieval times, because it goes into Britain. Oh, classic. Yeah. So Caesar, <clears throat> Caesar had it with him during his conquest of Britain. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, Nennius, the British prince, uh, took it from him in battle. But uh, he accidentally pricked himself with it. He pricked himself with the anus. He, oh, wait, he pricked his. He pricked himself with Anus's sword. Anus's sword. Okay. With Anus's tool. <laughs> uh, and uh, he died because, of course, if you get damaged from it. And he was buried. Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. you get damaged there, it's... Uh, <laughs> I mean, what are you going to do? Especially back in those days. Oh, you get a cut on any sword and you die. Like any, This is a, this is a mythical power mm-hmm. of any sword. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so he, he... He was actually buried with the sword. And this he, kind of... He got buried by <laughs> the sword? Yeah. And mm-hmm. he was buried with the sword and I like... I, this is one of those like old myths that I'm like, okay, like these kind of things come from somewhere. This Nennius guy was buried with some sort of a sword, for sure. Whoever he was, wherever he was buried, he was buried with some sort for of sure, a sword. He for sure, he was buried with a sword. I, are you can say that five times fast. For sure, he was buried with a sword. <laughs> yeah. So he, um, yeah, so he's buried with the sword, and it makes me wonder, and I, I definitely want to like explore some of these kinds of things in later episodes and maybe maybe some proper mm-hmm. segments. Um, 
where I can do a little bit more background research on things. I like treasure hunting and that kind of thing. I know and, you and, do. And one of the things that I'm really interested in is these old legends where never nobody ever found it. And I'm always curious if anybody went looking for it. There's like Captain Kidd's treasure. There's some great stories mm-hmm. about people who went looking for that. Just just a side story for folks listening at home. I've known Mike for a long time, basically all his life, because he's my brother. And uh, when he was nine, uh, for Christmas, he asked for a metal detector. And my parents got it for him. And he has been hooked ever since. And I think you have like seven different metal detectors now. Is that, that not right? Um, yes. They keep buying you a new one every Christmas. It's crazy. It's except well, for that that one year when when you said you wanted a, a Nintendo Wii. Yeah, I didn't get it though. They got me pajama pants for once that year. You guys always get pajama pants, and I get a metal detector. And then I yeah, it wasn't equivalent. I actually I I could use one metal detector, but you have. You know, you've never asked me for one of mine. Oh, can I at least borrow? Yeah, I have like like probably ten metal detectors now. Okay. Well, let's talk about this later. Yeah. I'll definitely borrow one of those. Okay. Um, I lost my keys in my house. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I I definitely want to look into whether anybody's gone looking for this sword. <clears throat> okay. Because that's kind of the stuff I, I'm yeah. super interested in. Treasure. I'm going to do some treasure segments. That's going to happen. Treasure segments would be great. That's coming. In uh, probably the second half of this season, well, how about we get some more sponsors so we can <laughs> so we can fund a dig some some <laughs> digs. Yeah. Uh, okay, so that's that is uh, that is the yellow death. That was the yellow death. Okay, so you got another one. This is my last one. This is called the shower. The shower. The shower. The shower. And uh, this is uh, some, how's that spelled? S H A R U R. Sharer. Sharer. Yeah. Sharer. 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 Okay. Uh, it's a Sumerian weapon, ancient Sumerian. Oh, those fucking Sumerians. Oh, pretty cool, though. Very cool. This weapon is uh, not to be fucked with. This is okay. This is the best. It is an amazing weapon. Uh, it, it literally translates to Smasher of Thousands, and it is a mace... That was used by the Sumerian god Ninurta, uh, and it possessed the ability to speak, and it was sentient. Ooh. So it was aware of itself. It was a sentient, free-thinking weapon. And it that's gave it, scary. That's AI. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's, that's yeah. <clears throat> and it gave him advice, because it would fly away from him. Could you imagine if that uh, weapon was connected to the internet? <laughs> yeah, to this thank day. God it existed yeah. in ancient Sumeria. Yeah, holy shit. We'd be fucked. Yep. Uh, and it would fly away from him, because it could. It just mm-hmm. went on a whim. And it would gather information wherever it could on his enemies. So it would just spy. It was a spying mace. Uh, yeah, it would just deal with all sorts. <laughs> it would- okay, let me just address the mace in the room here. Uh Something something seems to be uh, pretty obvious. Might be the mace in the corner. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you guys see that mace before? <laughs> it, it's hey, whose mace is that? <laughs> who's floating Flo- there? Whose floating mace is this? <laughs> yeah. Clean up I, your shit! I, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but here's the thing. This is what I love about this weapon. Um, not only could it think, fly, speak... 
but it could also spray venom and flame on on armies that it flew over Holy top shit. of. <laughs> and a, and weapon of mass destruction. Yeah, and it can <clears throat> take the form of a winged lion. It sounds like something some little kids came up with on a playground, like. Well, and mine can also it can fly. Uh, well, mine can talk, uh, and mine mine can spray acid. Mine became a lion. It, it became a lion. <laughs> Mine's a lion now. Well, I can fly too. <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, yeah. So I guess it features prominently in uh, the the reason it's famous is from one particular battle, mm-hmm. uh, in which uh, Ninurta was battling Asag or Asaj who was an evil demon, who was so evil, fish-boiled in his presence. Whoa. Which kind of... It doesn't sound threatening at all. It, it sounds delicious. It sounds, yeah. it sounds... It's like... The, it's the, like the wafting odor of, of him coming over it made everyone hungry. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, Jesus, eat your heart out. Like, he made... He, Jesus made all you the fish. You might be able to multiply fish, but can you cook them proper? <laughs> can you cook them too? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Everyone's trying to light fires. He's made so many fish, we can't cook them all. But, like... <laughs> so, that was how evil he was. <laughs> he could cook really well. Um... <laughs> Poach fish for everybody. <laughs> uh, yeah, <laughs> but the way what's really hilarious about uh, how he beats him is that it's all Shara. Shara. He went and he flew off from uh, uh, Nanerda, and he received counsel from Nanerda's father, the god Enlil. Enlil. Yeah. Enlil, and he um, he learned how to defeat him. Which I, d- I don't know how. I couldn't find any text on how he was defeated. It, well, just, it, just, it just says, with advice from his father, the god Enlil. Which, you know, sure. So it must have been good advice. <laughs> it had to have been great advice. Because they, wrote, those, they wrote those, about it. <laughs> yeah. What could, be so, what could be such amazing advice that it defeats an evil fish-boiling demon? Well, I don't, can't think of anything. Mm-hmm. We better keep that part of the myth. <laughs> keep it secret. A dash of lemon? Oh, lemon would kill that <laughs> shit. Yeah, lemon would bring that to the next level. <laughs> Good one, Nick. Oh, man. <laughs> oh, I'm getting uh, hungry. <laughs> mm, I'm actually super hungry right now. Uh, all the oh. fish. Yeah, so those are those are the weapons I was looking at. Uh, one, of the, uh, one of the ones I didn't... Um, I didn't go over. Uh, I, I skipped over it was because it had kind of a weird name, mm-hmm. and it's uh, I didn't I didn't know how to pronounce it. Um, okay, how do you, how do you try to pronounce it? Um, gay bulge, <laughs> gay bulge, gay bulge. It's a. I, this sounds familiar to me. <laughs> gay bulge, gay bulge. You've heard this? Well, okay. I think this is an Irish thing, right? Uh, yes, it's a, uh, from Irish mythology. From uh, into uh, in today's mythology, or in today's tra- translation of "gay bulge," is actually "ball gag." <laughs> um, uh, you might be that's right. Actually, that's actually where we get our ball gags from. Is is from this story, I believe. I mean, yeah. I'm just I'm just thinking back, but yeah. So, what about "gay bulge"? Well, it's a says it's it's means the spear of mortal pain or the death spear it's a 
gap-notched spear. Wasn't it made from the bones of like a sea serpent or a sea monster? Well, let's find out. Uh, coin, coin Karen, I believe, is uh, the sea monster. I don't see anything in here about that. I'm pretty sure it was the it was made from the bones of Coin Karen. Actually, if you can if you can find the description of it, uh, maybe we'll we'll post it in the website. But uh, uh, gay bulge sounds like a pretty deadly weapon. Totally, it's got it, it's it's basically ribbed for your pleasure. Yeah, it was known it as so a many belly, spikes on a, it. A belly spear it really drove up in there. Oh, it was meant to rip. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's all the weapons I have. Well, I, I, <laughs> see, this is the most interesting one, and <laughs> I really wish you would have done more. I, I didn't. I just. I didn't know how to say it, and I was afraid of uh, saying uh, it wrong. And maybe we said it right. I don't know. Well, we'll have to get uh, our Irish friend on here because it is a Gaelic word. Yeah. Uh, to pronounce it properly, but uh, I'm pretty sure it's just guy bulge, guy bulge, gay bulge. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> it's hard to talk about. <laughs> <clears throat> so that's what you got? That's what I got. That was good. I think so. Those are fun. I learned lots. Those are interesting ones. Um, so what I've decided to talk about mm-hmm. was also mythological weapons. Okay. Funny. Hilarious. It's weird, right? It's weird how funny mythical weapons are. <clears throat> so I'm going to talk about some real classic ones. Okay. Starting with, and not really even starting with, but I'm focusing on North wep- Norse weapons. Now, we all know Thor. Do you know Thor? You know the, uh, you've probably seen him in some of the movies like Avengers. And the movie Thor and Thor 2. See in uh, Pirates of the Caribbean? No. I'm thinking I'm thinking uh, Johnny Depp. No, I'm not talking about an actor. I'm talking about a character. Oh. Not Captain Jack Sparrow. Thor. Thor, like uh, Sonny and Thor? No, um... Thor, who is the god of thunder from Norse mythology. Oh, Thor! Okay, yeah, yeah, okay, I get it. Okay, <clears throat> so I think a lot of people have seen the Thor movies and seen the Avengers movies, and uh, if, if they aren't uh, adverse on uh, Norse mythology, probably have some ideas of where, who Thor is, and uh, you know what his weapon is about. And obviously his weapon is about Mjolnir. Mjolnir, oh, the, yeah. his hammer, right? Right. The uh, the thunder hammer. Yeah. Right? So, uh, in the comic books, uh, Thor gets his hammer from Odin, his father. Uh-huh. And Odin gives it to him or grants it to him as like, like, this is the proof of you being our official hero, basically. Like, you are you are the, the, the savior of the gods. Right. Kind of thing. It's like, whoever shall uh, hold... This hammer shall hold the power of Thor. Whoever is worthy of this hammer shall hold the power of Thor. Okay, so Thor is a real god in Norse mythology. His father is Odin. Okay. Mm -hmm. Asgard is a place where the gods of the Norse mythology lives. Right. Okay. Gotcha. So his hammer, how do you think he got it? 
Odin gave it to him. Nope. Uh, he found it? Nope. Okay, let me tell you. Okay. Let me tell you this story. Okay. So, Sif. Sif is a, a Roman, or a, not Roman, a, a Norse goddess. Uh, she is actually Thor's wife. Or okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. At some point, through some hijinks, Loki, the big trickster god of Norse mythology, mm-hmm. uh, cuts off her beautiful blonde hair. No! Yep. Thor is fucking pissed. Everyone's fucking pissed. They're like, hey, we all loved her blonde hair. Why would you cut it off? Mm. You have some fucking splaining to do. Right. So Loki goes off, and he goes off to make... He's like, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. I will get you the the greatest golden crown of hair you'd ever seen. Right. Sif. So he goes off, and he goes off, and he finds the sons of Ivaldi. The sons of Ivaldi are uh, basically like the best dwarf uh, blacksmiths in all of Asgard. Okay. So he's like, guys, you guys are the best craftsmen. Can you make me a new golden crown of hair for Sif? I fucked up. I need to make amends. And they're like, okay, yeah, we can do that. And he's like, also, uh, Thor is mad. Odin's super mad. Uh, Freyr is super mad. Um, can you make a, f- a few different gifts? Like, I need to appease everybody. Mm-hmm. So he makes Freyr uh, a-, a ship. Or um, basically, the, the sons of Ivaldi make Freyr a ship called the Skidbliner ship. Beautiful ship. It also can fold up and fit in your pocket. It's a ship that you can just bring out and unfold. And then he makes, obviously, he gets them to make Sif's golden hairpiece. Mm-hmm. And then the last thing he gets made is uh, is Gunnir. And Gunnir is is uh, Odin's spear. Oh! Yeah, so, so Odin is also known as the Lord of Spears. And this is where he gets his big weapon this is the first big weapon i didn't realize he was a spear guy oh yeah i'll fast forward a little bit when he gets a spear he carves his own runes and and uh lore into the spear right and basically soups it up from what from the doors made him right it makes it like the most epic epic weapon it's it's the weapon that um Basically, in war times back then, you would start a war battlefield by throwing a spear through the sky. That'd be the first thing it was thrown. And it'd be like, game's on. Mm. So the spear became so important um, amongst uh, people who believed in the Norse mythology that uh, people who are like not warriors or... or um, military people right in the society like even like just the rich landowners um if they're going to die mm-hmm. um would have someone kill them with a spear because the spear was like if 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 odin knew that a spear uh, someone died of the spear that they are worthy of valhalla okay mm-hmm. so instead of going to hell they go to valhalla right and if it was an actual soldier on the battlefield who was killed by a spear. They would go back up to Asgard 
uh-huh. and become part of uh, Odin's army, like his his true like his official troops. Cool. So that, so that was a big that was a, a a big part of of Odin's thing. So these are three. There was the golden headdress, mm-hmm. basically. There was the the beautiful ship, the Skilblinair. Mm-hmm. And then there was Odin's spear, Gunnir. Right. Okay. So <clears throat> Thor still didn't, he wasn't getting a gift from this. And Loki was like, oh my God, if I really, like, if I'm going to come back from here, I need to be able to appease everybody. Right. And there's still a few people to appease. Is this and, when, is this when Iron Man and Captain America meet up with all of them? <clears throat> no, this was written way before. <laughs> like how long? Um, <clears throat> I don't even know. Celestial days, like uh, seven celestial days. I don't even know. <laughs> okay, pretty much <clears throat> way before humankind was. Uh, okay, gotcha. Gotcha. The, mid- the Midgardians uh, were not paying attention. Right. <clears throat> okay. <clears throat> okay. So. At the same time, Loki has got all he can out of the Sons of Ivaldi. Okay. Like, they they were like, yeah, we made this for you. You owe us one. We made you some of the most beautiful things in the world. Mm-hmm. So Loki's like, fuck, like, I, I cut off Sif's hair. I need to get some better gifts to make everyone happy because everyone's really pissed. Thor got his hammer through Loki. Okay. Odin got his spear through Loki. Right. Okay, basically everyone who had their their greatest like little tools or little trophies got them from Loki. Cool, that's neat. So Loki goes to another couple of dwarf brothers. Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess you could could say they're like a competitive dwarf uh, blacksmith troop who are like, actually, we're we're cool. We're actually the best thing, and the sons of Ivaldi are they suck. And right. Loki's like, okay. And he goes to these two dwarves, uh, Broker and Sindri. Yeah. And he's like, I bet you, you can't make things that are as beautiful as these. And he shows them the headdress. He shows them the spear. Oh, and yeah. And he shows them the boat. And they're like, uh, we could, but we also just, we don't want to piss them off. Right. And he's like, Okay. Let me make this a little better for you. I bet you my head Ooh. that you cannot make things as beautiful as these because these are exquisite. Yeah. These things are the best gifts, and I'm going to give it, be giving them to the top gods. Mm-hmm. They're like, well, fuck, you're on. Yeah, I'll take your head. I'll prove to you. Mm-hmm. So the two of them, they get to work. And uh, basically, Sindri says to Broker, I need you to man the bellows. You are going to be keeping these bellows going, and I will bring stuff in, and you cannot stop. Do not stop. So the first thing he brings in is a pigskin. And he says to a broker, like, just keep the bellows going, keep the bellows going. And as the bellows are going, uh, Sindri leaves, and Loki disguises himself as a fly, as Broker is using the bellows, and uh, bites him on the arm. Bites him in order to try and stop him from using the bellows properly. Okay. 
So what happens after that is Sindri comes back in and removes uh, what is now called the Gullenbursty. Okay. What's... So 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 Broker has created the Gullenbursty like through their blacksmithing process, and the Gullenbursty is a boar with beautiful uh, gold quills, um, which is going to be given a gift to Freyr. And he says, get back to it. We have two more gifts. Because basically, like, uh, the Evaldi brothers, they had come up with three. Mm-hmm. And now uh, Broker and Sindri need to come up with three. Mm-hmm. And so they're competing one for one. Right. Right. Okay, so Gullenbursty is the boar. And I don't know if he's an actual live boar or if he's like just like a symbol of a boar or something. I, I can't tell from the text. Probably but both. He, probably a little bit of both, but yeah. he he is a, a he is a wild boar with golden uh bristles that uh like he he's he's a war a war animal. He's a war boar for for Freyr. And so the next one they do uh is is he brings in basically even even when Loki as a fly bit Broker on the arm right while he was bellowing uh the Gulen Bursty mm-hmm. the 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 war boar um he did not flinch Ooh. he didn't flinch he was just like I mean, obviously, he's a, he's a tough dwarf. They make the best things. Yeah, a little a, a fly biting him is not going to do it. Do flies so, bite? Well, horse flies do. Oh, it's a horse fly. Might, yeah, think of it as a horse fly. Okay, probably one of the biggest, ugliest horse flies ever. Mm. So next round comes in. They're doing the second weapon, and uh, uh, Sindri brings in uh, some gold, and they forge. Uh, they forge the Ring of Odin. Now, the Ring of Odin is a ring that every nine days makes eight copies of itself. Mm-hmm. It's basically a, a perpetual wealth machine. Yeah. Okay. So as as there, he brings in the gold, and uh, a broker is continuing to 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 man the forge and bellow the forge. Uh, Loki comes in as a fly again and bites him on the neck twice as hard. And Broker flinches, but does not stop bellowing. He just, he just keeps pumping those bellows. Mm-hmm. So Loki's feeling a little frustrated because, like, he's got a bet. He's bet his head. Mm-hmm. So third round, this is where um, uh, Sindri comes in and he brings uh, a bunch of iron and says, Broker, do not stop these bellows. You got to keep doing these bellows until I say when. Mm-hmm. And so Loki comes in after like Broker has been doing these bellows, and he he bites him on the the like the eyelid on the eyeball. <clears throat> comes in, bites him on the eyeball, draws blood. Right, and the blood gets him uh, Broker's eye, mm-hmm. and Broker can't see, and he actually ends up stopping the bellows for a bit. In right. order to wipe his eyes, and so Sindri comes in and and you know brings out the weapon, and the weapon is a hammer. It's Mjolnir, Ooh. but it's not a war hammer anymore because 
he hadn't manned the the bellows enough, so now it's it's it can only be used in one hand. Whoa. Okay, so Loki thinks he's won. Right. He's like, okay, pitted you guys against each other. Then they go to the the actual gods. They go to Freya. They go to Freyr. They go to Odin, Thor, and everybody, and they say like, judge which ones are best. Like we got three and three. Which one of these are best? And basically, who came out as the winner was Broker and Sentry, despite the short handle mm-hmm. on the hammer. And so Loki's lost. He's like, well, he bet his head, mm-hmm. right? And so what he says to them in the last minutes is like basically his loophole because Loki's a trickster. He's like, yeah, um, you can't take my head. Because if you're going to take my head, you'd have to take my neck. And I didn't bet my neck. And so they're like fucking broker and Sindri like, fuck, like you fucking, you're right. This shit. Yeah. They're, they're like back in those days, mythology days, like law is number one. Mm-hmm. So, and Loki is basically the number one lawyer. Mm-hmm. And so they're like, well, fine. We got your head. Then we can choose what to do with your head. And they sew his mouth shut. Oh. Mm. So that's <clears throat> basically their comeuppance. Right. But in the end, uh, we have Mjolnir. Cool. Mjolnir, they give to Thor. And, and they explain to Thor, like, Thor, this is like the best weapon. Because this is a weapon that will, uh, no matter what, hit whoever you're throwing it at. And will come back to you. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, Thor, you can fit it in your pocket. And Thor is so happy. He's like, you're right. This isn't just a big two-handled fucking war hammer. This is something I can actually put in my satchel. It's convenient. And he's even more, <laughs> he's even more happy about it. Despite the fact that the only reason it had a short handle is because it was screwed up in its making. Right. So you have two... Two ham or two weapons, you have you have the the Gunnir and you have the uh, Mjolnir. Right. Gunnir ends up being like basically like the ultimate god weapon. Mm-hmm. Mjolnir is the ultimate defense against uh, what are outside forces of Ultron. the threat to the gods. Basically, Thanos. Thanos. Ultron, yeah. fucking Loki, if he wants to come back, skulking it, it, back. There's nothing low key about Loki either. It's a weird name. It's a misnomer. Yeah, he's pretty high strung. Mm-hmm. Yeah, nothing really low key about him. No. So, funny story. Um, Mjolnir becomes the representative of a weapon that will protect the gods for all time. Uh, and in protecting them from Ragnarok, it's like so, so super strong. Thor with his little handheld weapon. To be clear, we're not talking about Marvel still. No, we're, <laughs> no, we're still we're talking about Norse mythology. Okay, Marvel took some certain things sure, and actually sure. did some things right. Let's get back to Ragnarok. But this this is this is like like Mjolnir is 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 a defense against Ragnarok and. And all the gods of the Norse mythology recognize Thor as being the hero to defend them from this thing. Mm-hmm. Okay. From outside forces, from the frost giants, from 
from whoever the Thor, dark elves. Thor three. Let's do this. Yeah. What's up, Ragnarok? Okay. So Mjolnir gets stolen. Okay. It goes missing. Mjolnir Who uh, did it? is gone after Thor has basically have a, had a drunken night out. Classic. Classic Thor. Thor is a drunkard. He, he parties. He's a, he's a warrior and he he will drink until he cannot see. Mm-hmm. And he wakes up and he's like, holy shit, I lost Mjolnir. <laughs> okay. uh, where'd it go? And he goes to his brother Loki and Loki's like, dude... I'm a shitty guy, but he really can't. He can't lose that thing. <laughs> like, like that's, Whoa! Yeah, that's not something you can just like leave lying around. How's Loki talking now? What do you mean? His mouth shown sewn shut. Ah, me, Loki gets out of everything. Okay, even without being able to talk. So scissors, <laughs> <clears throat> or he made amends or something. Sure. Where the gods are like, these weapons are really great that he got us. Can you please not sew his mouth shut? I'm sure it happens something like that. Something like so that. So Loki goes to Freya. Okay. Basically the, the goddess of the world. Yeah. And says, hey, so between you and me, Thor lost Mjolnir. <laughs> and she's like, what the fuck? Like, this is not good. Yeah. Um, I will give you anything you need in order to help track down that weapon. Because, like... That that is basically all of our security, mm-hmm. and he's like, "Okay, uh, can we get your your beautiful feathered coat that turns you into a bird?" And she's like, "Yeah, I would give you gold and silver in order to get that thing back." Uh, here is my coat. So Loki uses her coat, and he travels around. He looks looks around, and he eventually comes across uh, the giant Thrin. And he comes up to Thrin as a bird, and he's like, "Hey, uh, I assume he takes the coat off." He's like, "Loki here." <laughs> he thought I was a bird, <laughs> but uh, anyways, just asking around. Uh, do you happen to know where Mjolnir might be? And Thr- Thrin was like, uh, "Yeah, I stole it, <laughs> <laughs> and I buried it eight leagues below the ground, and no one will ever find it." Why? What a dick! And, and Loki's like, "Why? Why are you being such a dick?" <laughs> he's like, "I will give the I will give Mjolnir back, but you need to promise me Freya's hand in marriage." Oh. And so basically, Loki goes back to Thor and tells Thor, and Thor and Loki are like, "Oh shit! I guess we gotta go <laughs> tell Freya she's gonna marry him." So basically, they go back. This is an Fre- episode of Always Sunny in Philadelphia. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they, go, they, go, they go back to Freya to to explain uh, her harsh business. Mm-hmm. Basically being like, hey, so Freya, you have to marry Thrin, that ugly giant. Um, because he's got, you know, this the savior weapon of the gods. And he won't give it back. And she's like, no fucking way. Not fucking doing this. <laughs> I I will, and I think she said some actually worse words in Norse, like "fuck you" and "you fucking misogynistic assholes." Yeah. So, basically, um, they come up with an idea that maybe what they'll do is they'll dress 
Thor in drag. Give him the best wedding outfit. Big veil and everything. And he's going to actually replace Freya. <laughs> so they go there. It's like a big this wedding is day. Definitely an episode of It's Always Sunny <laughs> yeah. in Philadelphia. It's a, it's a big wedding day. Big wedding day. And they, they go there for the celebration. And uh, Thryn is so excited. He's like, oh my God, this is actually happening. I got the girl that I want. And. And so they're sitting there, and they, the feast happens. And Thor, dressed up as Freya, ends up eating a whole ox. He eats eight salmons, and basically all of, basically all the food of the feast. Oh. And Thryn is, Thryn is super like, turned off. Oh, well, Thryn is like really turned off. He's like, <laughs> well, who? Oh, gross. This, <laughs> this, this is not the Color girl. Tug. This is not the girl I thought she was. I, I'm, I'm really weirded <laughs> out by this. And, and Thryn goes to Loki, and Loki's like. Thryn, she has been waiting eight days and seven nights. She is so excited about this. She has not eaten. And this, she has been so excited for this feast. And Thryn's like, oh my God. She is going, going to the limit for this. Like, she actually really wants me. This, why did I even steal a weapon in the first place? She, like, I should have just asked her. Oh yeah, basically. <laughs> and he goes, and he's like, "I'm gonna kiss her." And he lifts, li- <laughs> and, and, and he lifts the veil, lifts her big veil, and then it's like, Wah! and she's got like these giant red eyes, these raging red eyes, looking at her, looking at him, and he's like, "Oh God, Jesus, that is not the Freya I know. Who who is this Freya?" And Loki's like. Hey, dude, she's she's been since she heard about this, she's been awake for eight days. Like her <laughs> eyes are red. She's tired. Give her a fucking break. Give her a break. And so Thryn's like, oh man, she is, she is, she she loves me for mm-hmm, sure. Mm-hmm. Let us bring on Thor's hammer. Let's bring on Mjolnir from the ground, and let us consecrate this marriage. So mm-hmm. he gets his like other little or giant giants to bring up Mjolnir, and uh, they they both hold on to it uh, in a consecration of marriage. And the moment Thor holds onto the hammer, he takes the hammer and he bashes every fucking giant's head in. <laughs> <laughs> he basically he gets out of his wedding garb and goes <laughs> and destroys them all because he's so mad. <laughs> And anyways, that's just one story of where Thor's hammer's gone. That's classic (laughs) Thor and Loki. (laughs) (laughs) But Loki, like, is still like a bud. I like like, No matter what, Loki, like, like, he got them all the good stuff. Oh, I wish they were better buddies in the movies. Well, they still, like, there's faith. Like, you, you can tell that when, like, Thor's like, come on, dude, can you not be a bad guy? Because <laughs> the things we've been through, you know, like, <laughs> since childhood. Yeah. Cool. Good story. Anyways, I, I just want to talk about those two things. That's great. Yeah. That's really nice. I enjoyed that. Um, so that's the plot of Ragnarok. Oh, no. Ragnarok's a whole other thing. We got to get into like Loki's progeny. 
We don't have to. No, Loki's progeny is a wolf called Ferrer. And Ferrer is uh, basically the the wolf that will end the, all times. Well, in Norse mythology. I don't know what's going to be in in the Marvel Universe, but... Right. Oh, good story about uh, Ferrer. Um, Loki's wolf. Yeah. Is that uh, basically all the gods were like really nervous about this like wolf Whoa. of Loki's. No, kid- no like, kidding. And they're like, hey, <laughs> we need to be able to figure out how to keep this guy under wraps or like to keep him in control, like a leash. We need a leash. So they ended up getting the best dwarves to build the best iron harness for him. Mm-hmm. And they put, and, and Pharaoh was like, yeah, put it on me. You can put it on me. I will get out of it. And they put it on him, the strongest iron iron leash, and he destroys it. Ooh. Like in a second. He's like, okay, bring it on. And then they they keep successively making new armor. Right. Until finally, uh, I can't remember who Odin uh, gets to do it for him, but he gets someone to make him uh, a leash made of lace. It's strong lace, or so 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 called strong lace. Okay, but the wolf is like, okay, so if you expect this to be the strongest thing, and you put me in it, if I break out of it, the only thing it proves is that I've broken out of lace. Mm. And they're like, yeah, but it's really strong lace. <laughs> He's like, yeah, but at the same time. Being the most strongest beast of them all. Right. I I can't be led to to be looking like I've broken out of lace. Like if if this is your last resort, breaking out of lace will not prove my strength at all. Right. And so he refuses to get into the lace. Mm-hmm. And there's another god, and I can't remember who he is. Maybe I'll put it in a footnote somewhere. But he's like, okay, fair. I will put my hand into your mouth mm-hmm. as we put this lace around you. Okay. As a, and, and you, proving to be docile at this point, yeah. will accept the lace. Mm-hmm. And then the rest of the people will know that you're like we're safe with you. We're good. Oh. Okay. So the lace gets put around him, mm-hmm. and everyone's happy. And Fair is like, and it is strong lace. But he's like, I, I, I'm not going to even try to break out of this lace because who breaks out of fucking lace? Right. So everyone's super happy except for uh, the god who got his uh, hand bit off. Oh, there's the punchline. (laughs) (laughs) True punchline. That's actually Norse mythology. Wow, that's a good one. (laughs) What's our time? 9058. 9058. Yeah, we got less to cut out. Anyways. Cool. Anyways, Norse Norse mythology. Norse mythology. Awesome stuff. I mean, I, I knew I liked Norse mythology, but you really brought it alive tonight. Like Thanks. I was sitting in the theater. I didn't need Iron Man. I didn't I didn't need the Hulk. It was right there. 
You, you really is is so 3D. you know you know the Hulk is going to be in Thor three Ragnarok. I didn't know that. <laughs> I don't know how that actually fits in real Norse mythology. I'm pretty sure there's no Hulk. No. Actually, there's probably going to be something like the Hulk in Norse mythology. Yeah, probably. there's some analogy that yeah. they'll use. Yeah. Um, that was really good. Uh, I mean, so I mean, we could we could go to Jason's interview now. Yeah, let's go to Jason's interview now. We could, but I'm a little jealous. Why? Because he, you weren't here. He got to, <laughs> sure. Yeah, totally, definitely. <laughs> I'm I'm soaking up all the time I can. Okay, let's let, roll. Let's Jason. let let's go with uh, Jason Colvin. Continuation of our myths and legends. He's got a great myth. Enjoy it. It's gonna be great. Sean! What are you drinking? Oh, uh, hey Mike. I didn't see you there. That, that was a steam whistle pilsner. Canada's premium pilsner. It's brewed with only four all-natural ingredients. Spring water, malted barley, hops, and yeast. All GMO free. It's delicious. Oh yeah? Mind if I have one? Actually, that was my last one. Dang, that sucks. It does suck. It really does. Steam whistle beer. You brought something with you today. I did, yeah. 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 Um, so I'll let you start. Okay. Um, I'll follow up with mine after we talk about yours for a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm excited about yours because um, you were talking about it before the episode and a few days ago. Yeah. And so I'm actually really eager to hear hear about this. Right. So I'll hand it over to you. Yes. Well, you asked me to come in and talk about uh, uh, bards and mm-hmm. the bardic tradition in specifically Europe and the British Isles. And there's one figure that stands out above most, above the most popular known would be Merlin, because he was considered a bard of, okay. of types because of the amount of information that he had at hand. But mm. a contemporary of his that overshadowed him in his time was Taylison, who was uh, in the wealth or wealth Welsh mythology of of the bards of uh, of England and Ireland and the whole British Isles they shared a lot of common uh, social artifacts and uh, social uh, tenets so the story of uh, Taylison starts out uh, he he doesn't even start out with that name. He okay. starts out as a common man. It starts out the story is uh, this witch slash goddess Serdwin um, had two children. She had a daughter who was really beautiful and uh, gonna really massacre the Gaelic pronunciation oh, sure. of her name. <laughs> it's Kriwi, and she was gorgeous, beautiful. And then she had a son who was, who was a monster. Kriwi. Cre- yeah, Creary. How's that spelled? Creary. Uh, it's C R E I R W Y. It's the Welsh oh, Gaelic. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's lots of consonants and then coupled 
vowels that are hard to confuse. So if our guest, who was supposed to be here... Oh, uh, uh, yes. Well, Danny, but that's Welsh, though. That's Welsh Gaelic. It's different than Irish Gaelic. Yeah, but he could probably get a better it's run possible. on it than, than we will do. He's been a lot closer yeah. to Wales than I've ever been. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so she also had a son, uh, more friend, mm-hmm. who was hideously ugly. Horribly deformed. Of course, that's the way it works. And he actually ends up changing into a character called Afagdu, who uh, sort of Morphrain means the crow, and then Afagdu means the darkness. Like he was oh, okay. just generally not looked upon kindly by any member of society because so, of his ugliness. Yeah, well, that's typical of, of yeah. humans, right? We tend to I just judge by what we see. When you think about it, though, from what I would. I would assume is that back then, given hygiene uh, and the way everybody people, was everyone ugly. was pretty ugly. So you have to be pretty damn ugly. Yeah, hair all over the place and horns was probably <laughs> yeah. the an eye like that hangs closer to his mouth than a bit of an Igor. Yeah. yeah okay. Definitely, monobrow exceptional. Okay, so she decides that to make her son more socially acceptable, she's going to brew this uh, draught of inspiration to imbue upon her son. Uh, all of the worldly wisdom and knowledge to make him a bard mm-hmm. that would make him socially acceptable because bards were looked upon as heroes. Not, well, not necessarily heroes of the people, but uh, they were raised socially because of the the status they had in society because they were typ- typically employed by kings mm-hmm. to be record keepers of the oral tradition. And also there were... Bardic jousts where kings would set their bards against each other to have, you know, like the original MCs. They would have, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. They would have yeah, contests yeah. to see the true original was. MCs. Yeah, indeed. Yeah. So she devises to make this potion to give to her son to make him wise so mm-hmm. that he could become a bard. So she employs this blind man. I have to look for his name here. Um, uh, it's not important. This blind, he's a blind guy, guy. he's yeah. a blind guy, who's led by this young man named Guayan. Mm-hmm. So the potion actually takes a year to produce. It has to, it's in a cauldron. There has to be a fire constantly. It has to be constantly stirred. So she hired this blind man to tend the cauldron. And then he in turn had his own attendant because he was blind. This young man named Guayan. So it had to, sorry, it had to brew for a year and a day. So... On the last day, she leaves to go pick up some last-minute ingredients for the to make it even more powerful. Mm-hmm. And while she's gone, Guayan stirs the cauldron, and three drops of the potion land on his thumb, burning hot. First thing he does, what do you do when you get you lick hot? it? Yeah, yeah, you, you put, put it in your mouth. mouth, right? Well, apparently, with this potion, the first three drops were the only potent part of the potion. After that, the rest of it turns to complete poison. So he puts his thumb in his mouth. And oh, no. flash, he gets this instant, complete onrush of all of the lore and wisdom of, of the, that modern world mm-hmm. at the time. First thought is him, I fucked up. I gotta go. She's gonna kill me. So he takes off. She comes back, finds the blind guy, sees that the potion's completely ruined. In different versions of the story, the cauldron's knocked over and it poisons the land and kills all the horses. And mm-hmm. But she... 
basically gets so mad at the blind guy, she hits him so hard that one of that his eyes... That he can see again? One of his, <laughs> well, one of his eyes actually pops out of his head, and he says, you've done me an injustice. He explains the whole thing. She's, she figures out what happens. So she goes after Guion. Guion knows that she's chasing him, so he changes form. And this is actually fairly common in bardic tradition where they were shape changers mm-hmm. because it was, it was based in, in shamanism. Most of the bardic teachings were mm-hmm. based in shamanism. So there was a lot of shape changing. So he changes into a hare and she changes into a greyhound. She's chasing him and she's catching on up to him. So he comes to a river and he jumps in the river and he changes into a salmon. So she jumps in the river and it changes into an otter. And then he jumps out of the river and turns into a bird. And then she turns into a hawk. And he's flying over this field and he sees a large sheet full of grain where they're, they're separating the, the, shaft, the bran from the grain. Mm-hmm. And he goes down and turns himself into a, a, a kernel of grain. And she turns into herself into a hen and pecks him up and swallows him. You would think that's the end of the story. No, you just turn but yourself into a crappy myth, right? <laughs> explode that hen. Yeah, no, he doesn't. He actually gestates inside of her. No way. She becomes pregnant when she turns back into female form and she gives birth to him as a beautiful baby child. She's enraged. She does she wants this, to kill this guy. This is phenomenal because I I I'm gonna follow up with a story that's very similar. Uh, I'm sure it's a common and this even is, this though it's is, so divided this across is act, the planet. Yeah, this is this is gonna be really interesting. Yeah. So she gives birth to this beautiful child <clears throat> and she can't bring herself to kill him. So what does she do? She does what any reasonable human being would do. She sews him up in a leather bag and throws him in the ocean because that's not actually killing him. So he floats in the ocean for, I think it was between three and seven days. I don't recall. And ends up bumping into this weir. At the same time, there's this unfortunate man named Elfin Mm -hmm. who's had horrible luck through his entire life. He's the son of a nobleman. His father sends him to the weir with his henchmen to catch So for the, the audience at home, a weir is? It's a thing on the ocean that you walk out onto to catch mm-hmm. fish. Like a pier. Almost like a pier. <laughs> sort of like that. But Welsh. It's a Welsh pier. Yeah, maybe. At any rate, I didn't write this. I'm, no, I'm it's fine. No, no, no. It's good. Don't ask me that kind of question. Um, so Elfin has no luck catching fish. And the henchmen are all like, you've cursed the weir. Now we'll catch no fish here. You suck. So before they leave, he notices this thing bumping against the end of the weir. And it's actually damaging the weir. So he goes down and he picks it up and he thinks, oh, I found a treasure. So the leather bag, there's some different uh, accounts of what it was. It was quite possibly a small leather boat that was covered or it was just literally an oiled leather bag. So he gets it. And he brings it up onto shore and they're like, oh, you're a fool. You're wasting your time. And he's like, oh, there could be a, there's a great treasure in here. And he rips it open and inside is this infant. Now, he looks upon the infant and he's shocked, right? Nobody expects to find a baby in a leather bag floating in the ocean. So he pulls the baby out and he looks at the baby and he says, what form of fortune is this? And the infant speaks to him and says, I'm a greater boon than any you could ever find anywhere. Mm-hmm. I will be a great fortune to you. Bring me to your home. Take care so, of me, dude. Yeah. So that's actually <laughs> yeah. how he gets his, his name. Yeah. Uh, so his new name is Tielison and it means shining brow. 
because he's so bright and beautiful mm-hmm. and, and brilliant at the same time. He's been imparted with the world's wisdom. And a little bit of magic from the sorcerer, right? Yeah, well, if that's anything. the thing, though. Is it, the shamanic and bardic tradition, it's all steeped in magic, right? right. All of it. Yeah. Anybody that had anything worth talking about yeah. had some sort of magical aspect to them. Yeah. So he brings him back to his manor house. And his father's like, ah, what are you doing? Why is this here? And then the baby speaks to the father saying, no, listen to what I'm saying. This guy's going to do great things under my tutelage, but you need to take care of me. So they basically take care of him. Uh, they adopt him as their um, charge mm-hmm. or foster child. Mm-hmm. So later on, the nobleman's there's two accounts to this. Either the father gets invited to the king's court or the son gets invited to the king's court. Now, the king, as most kings are, is boastful. He surrounded himself with yes men. They're all telling him how beautiful his wife is, how smart his bards are, how fast his horses are. And whichever one of them, the father, the son goes there, is totally fed up with this. He's totally like, I've heard this all before. They're not that great. My wife's prettier than that. And my bard is a genius. So the king gets wind of this and takes the son. Well, let's just stick with Elfin for now. He takes Elfin and he puts him in the dungeon. And he sends his own son back to the manor house to seduce his wife, to prove that his wife is not as beautiful and she's not as chaste or as virtuous. That was the big thing. Beautiful and virtuous. Back then, that was important because being able to prove the lineage of your father was more important, Mm -hmm. even though it was still... Nearly pre-Christian, it was it was a thing. So he sends his son, who's this famous lecher in in the kingdom, to the house. Now Tielison sees this. He's mm-hmm. foresees this, mm-hmm. and he tells the queen or princess to sit one of her handmaids in her place, and goes so far as to say, "Put your royal or your your signet ring on her finger and yeah. let her take her place. Let her take your place." So the prince shows up, gets her drunk, shuffles her off to a side room, has his way with her. She passes out, and he cuts her finger off with the ring on it, takes it back to the kingdom. So they show it to Elfin. And Elfin's like, that's not my wife's finger. My wife had to wear that ring on her thumb because her hands are so small, and that's not a thumb. Also, my wife never baked bread in her life, and she also kept her fingernails really short. And there's bread dough under those long fingernails. That's not my wife's finger. So they throw him back in the prison. Mm-hmm. At which time, Tailzin has journeyed from the manor house to the, the castle. Right. And he's <clears throat> snuck his way into the court. At which time, the king has summoned his bards into the court to basically recount bards were really steeped in the oral tradition Mm -hmm. so they spent a lot of time or they spent all their time learning stories alphabets Mm -hmm. uh, mythology legends all of it and also they were always writing accounts of the heroism heroism of their kings and yeah they would often accompany uh heroes and knights uh on journeys in order to be able to whoever employed them really Yeah, yeah yeah so as they're coming in, Talzin's already in the court, and he casts a spell on them so that they cannot speak. They can only mouth the words and make the sound blurm, 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 like just absolute yeah. nonsense, right? So the king is is 
trying to talk to them and get them to do his bidding and they're totally not making sense. It's like they're all drunk. So he gets his head porter to whack the head uh, barred with a broom or something to knock him to his senses. And it actually does manage to knock him to his senses. And he states, well, the reason we're doing this is because there is an evil spirit in the form of a boy that cursed us as we were coming into the room, at which point Taylorson comes forward. And ex- so how old is he at this point? I think he's, he's still he's young, early teens, right? Yeah, like yeah. He was quite, quite young yeah. as referred to as boy. Right. So yeah. an average back then to become a bard was 20 years of training in a college. That's we'll crazy. get into that later. I've got some of the yeah, breakdown cool. of, of the training for that, cool. what they needed to learn. But so he basically stands up to them and says, yeah, I'm the chief bard of the country now and uh all your bards are crap and the king says that's preposterous prove it and then he launches this into this long epic about how he was present for the t- building of the tower of babel he recounts all of these historical mm-hmm. times he does some prophecy he really wows him like he is truly impressive in the language he chooses and the things that he states i mean a lot of it you have to think too back in the time Almost everything was based on boasting. Everything. Like, you look at the epics of, uh, what's the famous Norwegian or Finnish one? Beowulf. Yeah, Beowulf, right? I mean, that guy was a dickhead. And he did lots of great stuff, according to him. It was all based on boasting. Like, that's what you could do. Great story. It was. Really great. Really great story. But you have to know that it was impossible for him to reach the geographic places he could within the time frame that he said he did and do the feats he did. It was all about boasting. So he did this whole uh, basically tirade against the king's bards and how they're crap. And it was basically gangster rap mm-hmm. stuff, right? Like, yeah. well, I got the biggest guns and you guys are idiots. And so the king says, why are you here? And he says, I've come to spring Elfin. So they bring Elfin up. From the or no, okay, actually, originally they don't bring Elfin up. The king doesn't really believe what he says, right? Mm-hmm. So he launches into this other song, essentially that calls up a great wind that shakes the castle, essentially. And the king's like, "Okay, bring Elfin up from the mm-hmm. from the dungeon." So he brings Elfin up and tells and sings another song that makes the chains drop off of his feet. Wow! And then. Uh, Challenges the he tells Elfin to challenge the king to a horse race. So there's also two accounts to this, or actually probably more than that, where he brings the horse to the to the court. It's an old nag, right? It's mm-hmm. totally broken down. It's not going to be winning any races. So <clears throat> Talzin actually initially the first account I read was that he rode the horse in the race. There's another one where they they have another rider who's a young boy that Talzin um, instructs and what he needs to do. So he's got holly branches that he's burned black. So initially on the takeoff, he just trots out of the gate. And as each of the other horses passes him, he takes a holly branch and he taps the back of the horse with the branch and lets it fall to the ground. So as the race wears on, he's been going at a slow gait. The other horse has been going really fast. They rest their horses. As he rides past each horse, that horse starts to dance because he's enchanted them mm-hmm. with the holly, holly branch. So he actually just trots the whole course after mm-hmm. catching each horse and makes it in fast. And then where the horse stops, he drops his cap. Now, this happens also in the other account where there's another rider. He tells the other rider to drop his cap wherever the horse drops. 
and they dig up this cauldron of gold and everybody is really excited because it's a great portent for everyone involved. Mm-hmm. And then so that's essentially how he becomes the chief bard of the Isles. Now he's the, the character of Taliesin is reoccurring in history. Like this account is placed historically as a person. He's supposed to have been around the 6th century. Okay. okay. Right? But he's reoccurred. Oh, sorry. His accounts in poetry are mm-hmm. documented in the 6th century. He could have actually existed sooner. They're not quite sure. It's yeah, really that's hard to... frequent with uh, like like Camelot, yeah. Arthur and stuff. Like well, yeah, it's, it's hard to... Because apparently he was also uh, contemporary with Camelot and Merlin, right? Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of crossover there. And then there's also with the, the transference of those uh, oral legends into written history, it was all written by monks. So there mm-hmm. becomes this completely Christianized version of that whole scenario mm-hmm. where he praises God and... But it's at the same time he's at these. Yeah. So that's the origin story of him. Um, bards in that time, there was actually there was bards, there was um, vates and druids, and they all kind of had the same, not the same status, but they all existed together. Like the bards, uh, they did oration, they did magic, they did divination. They were kind of the jack of all trades as far as that goes. They were the superheroes mm-hmm. of the ultra elite. And then the Vates were the diviners and seers and natural philosophers. Right. And the Druids were also natural philosophers, but they were also moral philosophers. So they all went to school. There was these colleges. Now, bards, as far as colleges go, they would show up and it was a 10 or 20 year progress essentially for them to actually get um i don't know what you would call it like ratified. their diploma yeah their diploma <laughs> yeah. from college essentially their uh, trade their their yeah. uh, their ticket their ticket my bard ticket yeah when they joined the bard union yeah so <laughs> they uh i've got a list here somewhere i'm gonna find it uh field of learning okay so first year 50 ogums or alphabets now the ogums were uh there was a few of them. One of them is a really impressive one, and it's basically all names of trees. Oh, wow. Right? And each tree had a specific meaning. And they were all written. It was a single line, and there was a certain amount of cross hatches that went across that line in either, uh, let's say, backslash or forward slash pattern, right? Sure. So Sounds an awful lot like uh, runes. Yeah. And yeah. actually, I, uh, yeah. runes are very similar yeah. in the situation, right? So, okay, so the first year is 50 ogums or alphabets they needed to learn. Elementary grammar, 20 tales, first year. Second year, 50 ogums, that's 50 alphabets. Mm-hmm. So 50 more. Yeah, 50 more alphabets. Oh, my God. Like, and it, there was every great teacher through millennium developed their own alphabet. Right. So you had to learn all these different alphabets. That's um, how they'd write their books and their whatever, the way they yeah. record their own. yeah. Or actually, it was it became their own secret language that they taught their ah, acolytes, yeah, yeah. acolytes okay, to, yeah, cool. right? So, and then as years went on, they weren't so secret anymore, and they became stalted as uh, higher learning. Mm-hmm. So, okay, so and then six easy lessons in philosophy, some specified poems, and thirty tales. Third year, fifty ogums again, and then six minor lessons in philosophy, certain specified poems, grammar, forty poems. Uh, fourth year, the Breath of Nemed, which is law of, or law of privileges, 20 poems of the species called MN and 50 tales. Some of these names, I don't really recall what they mean. It's, it's been a long time sure. since I read this book. Uh, 
fifth year. What, what book is this you're reading? Oh, this book is uh, Taylorson, Shamanism, and the Bardic Mysteries in Britain and Ireland. Awesome. Written by? Written by John Matthews. Awesome. Yeah. He did a lot of research. There's a great uh, section in the back listing all of his references, and they're quite exhaustive. It's huge. Um, fifth year, Grammar and Sixty Tales. Seems like a light year. Mm-hmm. Uh, sixth year, Secret Language of the Poets. That's the year that they go and get laid. Uh, quite Maybe. possibly. <laughs> yeah. It's possible. Or not. They, yeah. <laughs> By that stage, they're probably they're allowed so to go down to the, the, the college town tavern. and Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> there was probably a tavern right on, right in the college. They probably made their own stuff. Okay, so sixth year, Secret uh, Language of the Poets. 48 poems of the species called Nuath. 70 or 80 tales. Now, okay, so species... It might have actually been a form of poem, not necessarily poems of specific species of animals. Oh, okay. Uh, seventh year, Bushnaka, <clears throat> miscellanies, love, bardism. That's pretty self-explanatory. Yeah. And uh, eighth year, prosody, colossus. I don't know what that is. Hold on a second. Yeah, there's a whole bunch of Gaelic here that's listed C chapter seven, so... If yeah. anybody wants to see that, they can buy the book and find chapter Check seven. this book out. Yeah. Uh, ninth year, a specified number of compositions of the kind called Senat, Luasca, Nena, Ikrad, Srith, and Dwili Feta, and master 175 tales in this three-year period. Uh, tenth year, a further number of compositions listed above. Eleventh year, a hundred of the compositions known and, as Anamwin. Twelfth year, 120 sitals or orations, four arts of poetry during the three years to master 175 tales along with 175 of the Anrath and 350 tales in all. That goes to list something, a great statistic here. Suppose that the peoples were allowed two months of annual holiday, which is probably liberal, uh, and let us, for arithmetical convenience, keep them at school 300 working days in a solar year. Then if they learn no more than 10 lines of poetry in a day, they will have acquired a total of 3,000 by the end of the year. And in 20 years, they will be masters of 60,000 lines. That's memorization. That's yeah, not that's just a- knowing about it. It's memorizing it word for word. And uh, this is considerably more than twice the length of two Homeric epics, which were phenomenally long. Yeah. Like, just to memorize... I, I, have, I can't even remember. I read this earlier today, and I don't remember it at all. So it's... Amazing the, the amount of lore that they had to learn. That's crazy. And they it's did, funny that they put such a uh, like it was so important to them to be able to do that. I guess this is a time where you know publishing books and things like that or was not a possibility. Uh, that also in the fact that written language they didn't learn these poems by reading them. Yeah, they learned these poems by having them recited to them mm-hmm. uh, in the colleges. They were in these in these halls. They were small halls. They each had their own room. There was a cot in the room. There was a desk with two chairs. The rooms were unlit. There were no windows. They weren't given candles except for at specific times. So they would go in. They would be instructed on these materials by their instructor en masse. And then they would ruminate on these materials for hours at a time till the Jeez. middle of the night. And then somebody would come in with a candle and say, okay, now you need to recite these materials and record them in an ogham, right? In in an alphabet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So this went on daily, daily, daily. Like, it was super intensive. And they had to have this retention skill to be able to recount 
the oral traditions of the generations and generations before yeah. them, the thousands and thousands of tales that were relevant to the area, to the greater area and into the nation. Right. And the mythology covering the whole aisles. Right. Like there was so much social trading in those areas. There's so many overlapping mythos in those mm-hmm. areas. Everybody's got a different name, but there's so many different stories. Like the the song, uh, sorry, not the song, the origin of Tielisen, um also completely parallels another song or origin story from Ireland of this uh, Fionn Mach McCamel. I think that's his last name. And it's almost word for word the same origin. The cauldron, the three drops, the transformation wow. chase. Yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah. So, yeah, it, it, they traded all of these things. And you had to learn these things to be basically valuable to the king and or whatever lord you served at the time and the peoples that you were you were serving. So, yeah, that's that's so, that part of it. <clears throat> that's probably uh, also the trade like bards trading with other bards. They like was, meeting up with bards because obviously they're all always gaining new tales and stories. Yep. And in order for word to spread. Um, they would have to trade, right? Or, or I don't know if that's a thing, but well, I'm just thinking. theoretically, like they also had to produce their own materials, right? Yeah, it wasn't. Uh, there was a lot of once you became a professional practicing bard, it was really competitive. Mm. They yeah, were always facing off each other. So they don't. Each other. It wasn't easy to share tales. That um, might be could it, could it have been a currency. I don't think so. There's there's an account of actually there's a period in both. Uh, Taylorson and Merlin's life where they become hermits and they completely lose it because of some catastrophic battle that it, they experience that affected oh, them sure. psychologically. So they go off, but they end up meeting in the wilderness and talking about their shared experience. Wow. And yeah, it's, it's pretty amazing. Wow. There's a count of it in the book and it, it's incredible. Yeah. It's so long winded. I'm not even going to read it. Yeah, sure. No, but that, but I mean, Taylor's in an apple orchard and he's composing poetry for this pig that's his new companion now, yeah, right? Like he's, yeah, <laughs> essentially. Like he's, yeah. he's off his rocker, but at the, still at the same time, brilliant. Like yeah. just the, the phrasing that he's using and the advice he's giving the pig, which is constantly what he's doing. Yeah. He's like, don't do this pig. You should do this pig. We got to stay away from these guys, pig, because we need to move <laughs> over here because we're going to get caught. So it's pretty amazing in that way. But um, <clears throat> I also wanted to talk about the fact that uh, the Bardic tradition is born of the shamanic, uh, basically religious practices sure. of yeah. most of Northern Europe at the time, mm-hmm. right? So there was a lot of animistic, there was an, an underworld or an other world that the shamans visited to consult with, uh, their, the spirit or helper animals and, uh, ancestors. And they use that to have, um, they also did, there was a practice called healing dreaming where anyone that was sick would come to these places mm-hmm. and be isolated in a cell, completely dark again, where they would be purified in baths before they were put in the cell. And then they would be in the cell and they would be under the influence of the, basically the, the circumstances of the place. And they would have these healing dreams that we help deprivation them or not help them. Right. Yeah. Like, I mean, of course, back then it was probably. 50 where you were going to make well anyway. sometimes all they needed was a bath yeah <laughs> clean, clean out those get wounds the louse. And those, yeah get the louse out cool uh i i actually had a question about about your myth mm-hmm. 
there are literally hundreds to almost thousands of cultures that use shamanic practices. Mm-hmm. And most of them originate from around the same time, and some still carry on today. Mm-hmm. Do you... How, how much do you actually... Um, would you say you believe certain aspects of them? Because if you look at the beliefs of them, they're fairly similar. I I do, actually. I have a bit of investment. And actually, it's one of the reasons I picked up the book so mm-hmm. long ago is that I found it to be one of the most reasonable explanations for uh, the natural world yeah. as opposed to a monotheistic religion mm-hmm. where it was sky wizard. Saying, uh, I made you look like me, and then I took a piece of you, and I made ladies. Didn't make sense to me. The goddess and god aspect of uh, shamanism made much more sense to me in the natural world than any other sense of religion at the time. Since then, I've become a lot more cynical, Mm -hmm. and I look uh, at things a lot more um, metaphorically than what's actually written down in these accounts yeah. and I'm pretty sure it was all metaphorical anyway but the amazing part about all of it is that there was so much um, weight placed on the intellect of these people yeah. yeah, the fact that kings instead of warring over certain things mm-hmm. would call these people up and they would duel yeah, mm-hmm. with words they would satirize each other. That's another great one, actually. There's a great story about uh, I don't know if it was Taliesin, but it was two great bards mm-hmm. basically satirizing each other, just cutting each other to shreds with with words. <laughs> and the younger bard got the best of the older bard and actually raised blisters on his skin with his words, and he ran away in shame. Oh jeez! And the funny part, at the end of that story it br- is brings whole whole new meaning to the the like, and then you put yeah. your finger to like burnt. That's probably where it came from. Yeah, yeah. totally burnt. <laughs> so anyway, the the younger bard realizes that he's done this older bard an injustice. Mm-hmm. So he chases after him for a long time, like it's over a year. This other bard went and hid in another kingdom. He wasn't practicing as a bard anymore. He yeah. went to go find a friend and he hid with him. And the other, the younger bard actually found him and the older bard went into hiding in the kingdom and he, he hid in a, in a crack in the wall and the young bard <laughs> came and found him and the old bard just died of embarrassment. Oh, wow. And then the wall closed on him and a shard of rock shoots into the younger bard's eye and explodes in his head and then he composes this great basically death cycle describing what he did wrong, what he's done right, what's going to happen in the next 10 years and then dies. Oh, that's, oh that's actually a good part of it. So the, they also compose. Yeah. Oh yeah. No, so they're the, expected to. So a lot of the, like they're, they're going to college memorizing it a ton, mm-hmm. but then in the end, what makes them probably great is their ability to compose their own. Absolutely. Stories. The, the, actually, the memorizing all of that material is supposed to make them better at making new material mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. also to be able to support their king or whatever conflict they're dealing with by precedence of using the old material. Mm-hmm. So it's almost like being a really cool lawyer yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that gets to make shit up all yeah. the time, which is, no, I, lawyers, it's different, right? But yeah, it's as studied 
if not more than than what a lawyer would be now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. So another thing too is that the the shamanistic aspect of bards and druids and vates was they had to go through these physical tests too, where I mean, for especially for divination and second sight and seeing into the future, um, in almost every shamanic culture, there's always a state of consciousness shift. Mm-hmm. Through ingestment, ingesting yeah, something, peyote, yeah, or <laughs> or hollyberries, or yeah. certain types of mushrooms on the steppes of Russia. There's the ergotamine grasses, right? Mm-hmm. Like, or the fungus that grows on the grasses, the ergotamine fungus. There's all these aspects. Ergot, yeah. Mm-hmm. So ergot then, comes from. also the the fact that they always, almost always, are in a place where light is completely devoid. It's usually in a cavern or a cave or they're completely covered over. Like in, in a lot of these, people are covered with really heavy ox hides to completely block out the light and probably reduce sound too. And they have to go on these visions, essentially. Yeah. And it could seem like it was days or weeks that they're in these visions and they wake up and it's the same time that they went underneath the in, into this area to, to experience this the spiritual awakening. Yeah. Now with the Druids, from what I've heard, the thing that they, that what they had to ingest either killed them or didn't. Oh, so it was toxic enough to produce that psychotropic effect, but it was also possibly toxic enough to kill them. So there probably also was things like wormwood and stuff that are in low dosages, yeah, well, who knows what you know, berries they were putting yeah. in there or anything, yeah. right? So, by accounts, you could have been ingesting just such a strong toxin that it made you delirious enough to see shit. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, <clears throat> I mean, they, they continue that kind of research on to, well, maybe not to this day, but definitely in the 60s and 70s with oh, they sensory still deprivation tanks there's and, a, and hallucinogenic there's drugs. There's a big resurgent right now in a mind-altering drug for... Yeah. Vision and and life philosophy. I can't remember what the name of the drug is. Do you remember DMT? What it's called? No. Uh, it's ecstasy. Sure? No, well, no MDMA. No, it's not. It? It's an actual organic compound that's derivative oh. of a plant from South America. It's oh, really. Oh, is it? Is it peyote? No, it's not peyote. No, no. It's... <clears throat> Shit, uh, I can't remember now. Who wrote about it? It's very recently come into into practice. It's popular in L.A. and in it's. Uh, you know what, Mysterious Universe is talking about it just on the last episode. I yeah, to. I can't think. Of yeah, it and it's is, essentially you're supposed to take this stuff and then it tells you what you need to do with your life yeah. by well, guiding you through some sort of experience where you talk <laughs> to a box uh, or why can't her Johnny Cash is talking to you as a coyote or whatever. I don't know. <laughs> so I don't know. Are you are you familiar with Wade Davies? Not at all. So Wade Davies uh, wrote the book Serpent in the Rainbow. Uh, that I'm familiar with. He's a the film. Anthrop- anthropologist and a botanist um, who has done lots of research traveling the world, trying out these different tribal things, writing about them, the experiences, right. figures out the chemistry of them. Uh, fascinating guy. Serpent in the Rainbow. Uh, Cloud Leopard is one of my favorites uh, that I read. Um, he came here actually a couple of years ago uh, and did a talk. A uh, really neat guy, actually. He uh, he doesn't look so much this way now, but like when he Clouded Leopard came out, he was like his uh, book jacket picture was him in a in a tank top in tropical jungle, and he's just he's buff, right? Tanned and long hair, kind of looks like a hippie, young guy, yeah. actually young guy, 
who's done like he's the one who discovered uh, the secrets to the zombie drugs. Right, that's where Serpent in the Rainbow yeah. comes in. Serpent right? in the Rainbow was where that came in. Yeah, yeah. and uh, really neat guy. I, I wouldn't be surprised if he's like he pushes for ethnobotanist. Ethnobotanist. Yeah. yeah. I'm sure this drug is up his. Alley. Well, this is right up his alley. That's yeah. why I'm <laughs> I'm, I'm bringing him up. Uh, he's. I, I recommend picking up his books though, because he just writes about his his stories and his tales of traveling to different villages and different countries and taking different shit, taking different shit. Exactly. Um, but that they're doing lots of research with like DMT. I mentioned DMT there. DMT is one that they're finding is like people, it has such a profound effect right? that uh, people generally go that they have a long-term feeling of, uh, understanding or satisfaction, right? Uh, sa- satisfied with their life a little bit more, or a deeper understanding of what they need to do, right? Um, they're also doing uh, MDMA and LSD, right? And uh, mushrooms, so psilocybin, mm-hmm. um, as being uh, great as uh, something to deal with moods, right? <clears throat> and depression. Which uh, kind of makes sense because my mushroom trips, I am in a, I am in a great mood. Yeah, honestly, most of the time. Honestly, unless actually, I have the poops. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> my first, uh, it was Golden West Music Fest, uh, lo- uh, local music fest in Ardmore. Um, I had my very first mushroom trip. And now who did you buy them from? Oh, it was, it was totally. Uh, <laughs> they were just being handed out by a yeah, by yeah. a mushroom fairy. It was totally a very good friend. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's a circle. Yeah, yeah. Of sorts. <laughs> but yeah, I since I've grown up, I've all it's almost like I've had this form of like social autism. Like I've been it's a I weird can attest to that. I'm his older brother. <laughs> yeah, I can and I I couldn't really talk publicly. Even talking now would have been, oh my god, what do I say? Right. Yeah. After this, and only two years ago, I had this mushroom trip had a profound experience just all of a sudden felt one with the universe right <laughs> yeah and i've been way different ever since right i've been able to publicly speak i've been able to so yeah my difference was that i i knew that uh, mushrooms are on my list of things to do all the time <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> whenever whenever the the mood is right and i'm out in nature yet you, you have mushrooms right so well, let's I- let's go back to what you were talking well, about. Well, actually, that's so, interesting because it touches on the shamanic experience. You were talking yeah. about having this pr- profound experience that attuned you to the universe. Yeah. And that's actually the tenet of shamanism is actually being in touch with the universe. They talk about the universe being uh, these concentric circles that converge on this pole, mm-hmm. which, I mean, Ishkabaha is the tree of life, mm-hmm. which would be this pole. And then the roots go down and I, that's in the underworld. I'm not going to pronounce it probably but Yggdrasil Yggdrasil <laughs> from uh, Nordic and yeah, yeah. Slavic yeah yeah and yeah. actually Lord of the Rings stole from that idea too the big one tree. oh they stole yeah. from everything yeah or he 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 stole yeah. a lot yeah he did so they would the roots go down to the underworld so that's the the shaman goes on his journey into the underworld and meets up with these animal helpers mm-hmm. and they're given tasks and they learn things and they see things and there's a great list of uh, the the different animal uh, like aspects, not not just what help them, but the things that are commonly 
uh, forms that they change into, which are, are pretty interesting. Uh, buck, bull, cat, cockerel, which would be mm-hmm. uh, rooster, rooster mm-hmm. essentially. Dog, fox, goat, hare, marten or weasel, uh, roebuck, salmon. Now, the salmon's an interesting one because the salmon's always been a, uh, a symbol of, of wisdom. For some reason. Oh, okay. I don't know. They're pretty dumb fish. They're easy to catch. <laughs> but uh, also, like, serpent, which has also always been kind of associated with wisdom and archaic, or not archaic, but uh, magical and mystical teachings. Sure, yeah. Um, sow, squirrel, uh, stallion and wolf. Like, the sow, like, pig is also really uh, prominent in uh, Celtic, like, a lot of different Celtic or Gaelic cultures, right, as, as a mystical or... So uh, when they're talking about is it a is it a uh, we're not talking about a domesticated pig probably are we talking about well I mean more of a wi- wild then, pigs back then there were just as many wild pigs as there were domesticated pigs right like the giant sows and boars ravaged the countryside they were mm-hmm. huge right mm-hmm. like and dangerous mm-hmm. they're dangerous animals when they're yep. feral really dangerous um, also birds crane and eagle. Vegetables, oddly enough, blossoms hold a high, like fruit blossoms, essentially, or, or mm-hmm. uh, grains of wheat, trees, sedges, wood. Like, trees were sacred to these people. Yeah. That's why, like the, when I was talking about earlier about ogums, how a lot of them were based, these alphabets were based on tree names. And then they attributed certain aspects or social, um, uh, I don't know, it's not wordings, but like phrases associated with these trees. You uh, you recently just got back from the UK. Yeah. Did you get out to the countryside at all? I didn't, unfortunately, which is my biggest regret. And when I go back, I'm definitely going. Yeah. I'm totally skipping London. That's, uh, <laughs> I'm going that's into the, the best into part the of my trip there was, was hitting some of the villages and hitting the countryside because I totally get where fairy tales come from. Yep. Like like seeing some of these countrysides and some of these meadows and, and, and forest patches, like the trees are so old and they they look like fairy tale trees. Like if, uh, I think one of the the biggest uh areas or the most heavily visited in the UK is uh Devon County. Right. And Devon County is just it, it's amazing. Like there's there's no doubt that especially if you're doing hallucinogenic drugs that you wouldn't find something really profound in how beautiful right. and how, uh, in, in a way scary. Yeah. Like the, the natural ecosystem is. There's a lot of talk too with a cult, like uh, Wiccan religions and pre-Christian religions about meridian lines or power lines and where mm-hmm. they intersect and, yeah. and where those places where they intersect are places of power. So they, uh, a lot of ritual sites and holy sites are thought to be on these meridian crossroads yeah. and stuff. Yeah. Essentially. Yeah. There's also uh, inanimate objects that they, they would change into that are, are stated as a list like ax bill hook, which was a weird form of pole arm, which was basically a long stick with this curved blade on the end of mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. I don't know why anybody would change into that coracle. What's a coracle? Yeah. Look it up. I can't, I don't know. I can't remember. Uh, crane bag, which was almost like a like a medicine bag mm-hmm. that bards and holy and spiritual people would wear. Um, dust, fire, harp string, lantern light, mist, pin, raindrop, road, shield, a shout. That seems like rather strange. Something to wow. transform into a shout. 
I just don't know after you've sh- after you've you shouted shot after you've shout <laughs> shotted uh, how, how, you just think there'd be a dissipation and how do you change back well the, the sound travels right it, it, the the sound waves continue to travel they might dissipate and spread apart but they're still present mm-hmm. yeah he's just got his he's got to get his atoms back together there at some point yeah, yeah definitely um, uh, spade spear oh go ahead oh sorry I uh, borcelli'd coracle it's a it's like a s- small boat. Oh, okay, boat. yeah, 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 yeah. You know, okay. Now I remember. They're uh, wood frame, kind of like in a circle. Mm-hmm. So they're really unstable. But it would be a leather or a skin bound boat with a wood frame, circular, hemispherical shape. Uh, where the uh, uh, popular nursery rhyme uh, three men in a tub" comes from, I think. Probably, yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Burger, yeah. Uh, butcher, baker, and a candlestick maker. Those are the guys. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So, um, the whole, it all ties together. These spiritual or not spiritual, these leaders, like they were, they were the, the intellectual, intellectual, cultural and spiritual elite of, of their, of their culture. Essentially, Mm -hmm. they all went through these processes where they would go to school for a long time and then go through these physical, um, ordeals to to pass into being a bard or a druid or a vate and then they would go out into the the culture and they would essentially serve the greater populace of the area that they were in and they were soothsayers they were um judges in some aspects where they would they would judge the um the veracity or the righteousness of a claim of one over the other. And they were court recorders. They wrote, I mean, even in their off time, they wrote things like personal journaling things that were like just profound in their word usage. And uh, it was an amazing process. It was really interesting reading about them when I did. And mm-hmm. uh, it's still a really great process. I what I'm curious about it keeps I keep thinking about it, is if they're going to school for 20 years. First of all, who's their prof? <laughs> and uh, it because <laughs> I mean people only live to a certain age, at that age. Yeah, you know I mean I'm, 20 I'm years thinking is midlife. Yeah, midlife was 20 years. If you started when you were an yeah. infant. So <laughs> like they they're out and they're old. And uh, definitely having to deal with their health mm-hmm. and or just hoping that war or something didn't kill them also. That might be why they gravitated to the courts and some sort of soft life. I'm just curious about uh, the college, though. So if obviously the, the people that are teaching these things are, mm-hmm. are have also gone through the college. Right. They've decided to stick around so, and they're teaching. But how long can they teach for after doing 20 years? Well, I have to preface. Like, they're never, I just don't, I don't picture them having a. 20 years. Okay. I don't picture them having a student being like, oh, one of my graduates, you you did well these past 20 years. Like, this this man's ancient by that point. Like, I I doubt many of the profs got to see their kids graduate. (laughs) Uh, It's quite possible, (laughs) right? But, I mean, 20 years, I mean,. But what did it? You also so read poorly, something about it's uh, so poorly documented. Uh, three three hundred days, three hundred days in a solar year. year. Yeah. yeah. 
So, no, well, 300 days in, they would be utilized in the solar year other than oh, off sure. time. and So summer vacation. Yeah. Or, I mean, Two I'm months. sure they all, yeah. they, I'm sure they were all conscripted to work the lands around yeah. the college to produce. They also wouldn't have a Roman calendar. No. At the time, too. No. Yeah. But, I mean, all those calendars are pretty... Yeah, it was all based on the moon and it's always the same. Stuff. It's pretty, the, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Okay. But I, I, you have to think though, it was also up to twenty years. Yeah. Like twenty years is a big guess from that part because the written those those are those like career students. Yeah. We all know them or the slow the ones. guys that never leave. <laughs> the really nice guys that they yeah. want to don't want to flunk out or the really pretty ones. I don't know. Um, <laughs> There aren't a lot of accounts from what I found of female bards, and I don't know why. Well, I think we all know why. Well, I mean, you think back then it wasn't, uh, it it wasn't as there were female warriors. Like there was not the same amount of even in, even in the British Isles. Yeah, 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 yeah. Definitely. Okay. Yeah. So they, and they, actually, they just seem very patriarchal. So. Yeah, I mean, that might be how it's actually recorded by later cultures, Mm -hmm. right? So it's possible that some of these names were actually female names that were were converted into male names. It's really hard to tell. Mm -hmm. This is is one of the the better myths we've had so far. I really like it a lot. The transformation chase between him and uh, Sarah Dwayne. This is why, like, when you were mentioning it to me a few days ago i was like i want to hear more yeah and that was great thank you yeah good job uh thank you good job I jason enjoyed it a lot good night and thanks for listening good night good night what's that the usual definitely the usual <laughs> is this thing on you didn't think I was going to, like, not exploit this moment, did you? I completely thought you would not exploit this moment. Oh. Uh...